2: Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. It's Tuesday, the 12th of April. You're listening to World Review from The New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. And later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. Today, I'm speaking to Andrei Soldatov. He's an expert on the Russian security services and the co-author of The Compatriots. Andre, thank you very much for, for being here. Thank you. I decided to invite you on because you have some pretty unparalleled sourcing and, and knowledge of the current situation of the thinking within the regime in, in Russia and among the security services. You've broken some pretty big stories, including a, f- a few weeks ago that the head of the FSB's foreign intelligence service, uh, Sergei Besida, had been supposedly put under house arrest. And so I was hoping to have a conversation about the current uh, thinking at the top of the regime about how things are going, how how the military campaign is going in, in Ukraine. So I guess it probably makes sense to start with Beseda himself. So you wrote this story that uh, Beseda had, had been put under house arrest and there was some speculation that this had been done as kind of retaliation for quite how badly the campaign in Ukraine was going and, and clearly some of the flawed assumptions and and flawed planning which had underpinned it and which had contributed to the current military disaster that Russia is experiencing. How have things changed since you broke the story?
1: Yeah, we got some updates actually last night about Sergei Beseda. So he is not anymore under house arrest. He was transferred to the Fort of a Prison. So we got this significant development that probably the very first time in my career I see... A general of of the FSB being sent to a high security prison, and it's a very infamous prison, it's the one which is under control of the FSB, and usually that's where you have your spies and traitors and uh, terrorists. It's a high security prison The communications with the outside world is absolutely forbidden there is no way to corrupt your your security guards as it's probably the case in many russian prisons it is basically the place where you do not have any communications with anyone not sanctioned by the fsb and now we have the fsb general being placed in this prison so it is i think it's it, it is a very interesting an important development, and it is a reflection how bad things are now within the security services. It also, not only about his physical condition and the physical condition of uh, Sergei Beseda, it's also about uh, the climate of paranoia we we see right now in Moscow. The initial reports suggested that Sergei Beseda would be accused of something connected to the money allocated to his department to be used in Ukraine to gather political intelligence, and also to support political groups, which might be supportive for the Russian invasion. Now, we see that it's also about hunting for a traitor. The Department of Sergei Biseyda is also in charge of maintaining official contacts with, say, CIA and other Western intelligence agencies, and it looks like Right now, lots of people in Moscow question why the US and Western intelligence was so accurate before the invasion. And they started looking for a traitor. I'm not saying that Sergei Beseda was the source, but it's quite interesting that first Putin became unhappy with the intelligence provided by Sergei Beseda's department. And now it's getting bigger and bigger and it's all sorts of accusations.
2: And do you have a sense of what people in the regime Believe about why uh, this has the invasion of has gone so badly. Do you think is there a search for scapegoats, or is it a search for people who who made mistakes? You said the Beseda might not be the source. Do you think he's being scapegoated for the mistakes of of other people were up to, and including Putin, or on the contrary, did are there real mistakes to be ascribed to him?
1: Yes, absolutely. And there are some limits to what extent people inside were buying this was ultimately in charge. We have a striking difference from what we see now, from what we saw in 2014, when the first stage of the war started with the invasion of Crimea. Back then, many people, I would say most of the people inside of the security services were extremely supportive. Of what putin did they all believed that it was the right thing to do the way it was done was absolutely brilliant no bloodshed everything was orchestrated in a very beautiful way so it was an absolutely fantastic operation from their point of view it is not what they're thinking now lots of people are still i would say maybe most of them still support the idea that something should have been done with Ukraine. And of course you can blame the imperial feelings and the feeling of, of this paranoia about the West, that the West was, has been always using Ukraine as a testing ground and, and a territory where you can have a Western military bases and all that. And people were not really happy with the regime of Zelensky, the but they, many of them do not believe that the way Putin decided to do that now is the best possible way to do it. And now they're creating, I would say some sort of distance between them and Vladimir Putin. And also you have Putin thinking, apparently, well, I'm not an insider, I'm not on his head, but it looks, well, judging his actions, it looks like he still believes that his initial plan, his big plan was absolutely fine. The problems are just with some elements that the military are not doing well. That the intelligence was not absolutely correct, but not in general, but just in some details. And that is why he is attacking the security services and the military. Because it's not only about Sergei Viseda. It's also about the National Guard. It's also about the military. It's about many people.
2: Who, do, as far as you know, who drew up the plans for the invasion of Ukraine? Why did no one say this isn't going to work. Why, why was there such a kind of an apparent information silo where no, no kind of contradictory information was allowed to reach the people making the decisions, which resulted in, in this catastrophic disaster for Russia.
1: I cannot provide you a list of people, but what I can do is to say that it looks like it was mostly about Putin and minister of defense, Sergei Shoigu and also Nikolai Patroshev, the head of the Security Council. And what is striking about these three people is that none of them have any military education. Two of them are the FSB big people, Putin and uh, Patrushev. Sergei Shoigu is an engineer by his training. He is, he loves his uniforms, and he's constantly changing their designs. And he loves to inspect the military parades on the Red Square. But he is not a military commander. And to me that is an explanation why from the from the day one it went so bad for the Russian military.
2: Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to the New Statesman, in digital, in print, or both, from as little as one pound a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok. And over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
2: There's a lot of talk, obviously most of it speculative, about the potential for a, for a palace coup, or the security services or people at the top of the regime moving against Putin. What is your sense about the likelihood of such an event?
1: To be honest, I'm extremely skeptical here. Yes, a lot. many people might feel dissatisfied with how the way the operation is going on. And also they can think that Putin is a bit out of his mind and he's too aggressive and all of that. But it doesn't mean that these people, the generals or officers, they are ready to do something about it. Uh, one thing to blame here is tradition or the lack of tradition. Yes, in Russia you have a very highly militarized society, and the military, all oh, well, this, I would say, omnipresent in the Russian society. I remember from my youth back in the Soviet Union, you. Back then, you saw people in uniform almost everywhere, in shops, on the streets, everywhere, but these people were always under control of the party or of the KGB. And to be honest, the history of military coup d'etat in Russia is very short. The last successful attempts. But probably in the 18th century, when we still had tsars and empresses and all that, under the communist regime, we sometimes we saw the military playing some role. For instance, after the death of Stalin, Beria was actually ousted and finally killed by the military, but under the command of the Politburo, it never did anything about it. And also, we do not—I never. So any successful underground organizations or movements inside of the military, it's nothing comparable with, say, the young officers in Egypt or Turkey. No, we do not have this. You might say that probably the FSB people might do something, but again, when the FSB or the KGB tried to stage a coup d'etat in 1991, again, it failed miserably. And Moscow Moscowites on the streets, they, uh, they protested and uh, that actually led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. So the tradition and some infrastructural problems inside of the Russian military and the Russian security basically against the idea that the coup
2: d'etat might be possible. What's your sense of the kind of information that reaches Vladimir Putin? Do you think that he gets bad news from the battlefield? Do you think he has a accurate understanding of what's happening in Ukraine, the the situation, because clearly as you've said, the assumptions that he was working on when he made the plan for this invasion were very flawed. Is he getting more accurate information now?
1: No, I don't think so. First of all, he relies extremely on the reports provided by his intelligence and security services. He doesn't have independent media anymore. He just killed all independent media in the country. So he cannot just turn on his television and watch news or read some papers. They're absolutely unavailable for him. But we know that he's not really fond of the media, never been, always being suspicious of journalists. He believes he is spies and his military. We know that he was misinformed by the military. And that is absolutely clear now because We have at least two instances, two signs that he was misinformed. Two weeks after the war started, Putin was visibly appalled when he learned that the conscripts were used in Ukraine, and he was told by the military that it was not the case. And then he found out and he got really angry. That's one sign, one example that he was misinformed. The other one, to be honest, is more striking and probably way more important. I had this strategy ready for, for, the invasion and he sent his tanks into Ukraine and all of that. And almost immediately, and I would say immediately, it became clear that he, the strategy he chose didn't work. But what strikes me, and I think it's still a big mystery, why the military strategy he chose? was never changed. after, And only a week ago, we saw some changes in his military strategy on the battlefield. This is absolutely unprecedented. Usually, when you have your military strategy, hit the reality. You need to adjust. You need to do something about it. And for a month, the Russian military kept sending tanks and columns dipped into Ukraine. They got uh, ambushed and burned by the Ukrainians and, it never affected anything in the Russian military planning, which is absolutely unprecedented. I would say that again, here we have some tradition starting in this, in the Soviet union, Stalin was constantly misinformed about the progress in the war during the second world war. That was the reason why, for instance, in 1941, the Russian, the Soviet military back then changed the way they reported the casualties to Stalin, he actually, he forced them to to tell him not about the number of people killed or the enemy the enemy killed on the butto, uh, battleground, but to give him some, some geographical details because he understood that they constantly misinformed him about how many German tanks they destroyed. And uh, instead of tanks, he asked his military to provide him some details about towns and cities and, and rivers and, and all of that. And it's been a problem for the Soviet military trying to misinform the political leadership. Still, and it seems to be still the problem.
2: And it, just if we close with with these new war aims that Russia now says it's uh, it's pursuing, um, these are clearly focused on the east of Ukraine, around Donetsk and Luhansk Oblasts. What do you think, that, now that the aim of regime change in, in Ukraine and taking the entire country is clearly out of the question, at least if Russia sticks to conventional fighting, what kind of outcome do you think Russia is now, is now seeking?
1: That's a big problem for me, to be honest. I think it's, it's very depressing and very frightening because it looks like now there's no military strategy. It's all about tactics. They're trying to achieve some tactical successes, and it looks like they're changing everything as they go. And to be honest, I expect more confusion, more mess, more misinformation of Putin. And they're getting more and more desperate. And it's, uh, it's not good because usually when the Russian military are getting desperate, it means that they're, they're using more and more uncivilized methods in the attacking civilians. We are, we saw that in Chechnya, during the First Chechen War and Second Chechen War, when we got desperate, we just switched to this horrible tactics of airstrikes and missile launches. And unfortunately, given the news from Kramatorsk, that's probably what we're doing right now.
2: Yeah, I would say that uh, the Russian military using more and more uncivilized methods does seem to be what we're seeing at the moment. Andrei Soldatov, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. This has been World Review from New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate us and leave us a review. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. I'm Ida Vok. Thanks for listening and until next time.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.